Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Rock in a Hard Place. This is John Micah. Hey, everybody, it's James. I'm here too. And today we have some excellent stories for you. And uh, excellent stories. I think they're very timely for the things that are happening in the news, the things that are happening you see uh, all around the world. And we wanted to share some of our own personal experiences, uh, particularly as it relates to Ukraine and the things that are happening over there currently and our experiences over there. Coming up next on Rock in a Hard Place. Yeah. Hello. Hi. How you doing today? I'm doing all right. Yeah. It is cold Good. where I live right now. We had I bet. I bet it's really cold, cold sweep. Here. Yeah. Yeah. You know when the ski resorts uh, don't open because it's too cold that it's <laughs> <laughs> that it's real cold outside. <laughs> too cold for skiing. Oh no. Yes. <laughs> you so. know what's happening here is a typical Portland reaction to a little bit of snow uh schools are closed today there was a dusting if you will of snow here in oregon city where my family lives but down like more in town last night uh it snowed about a foot actually like over by our church for example and we were actually going to do um the first ever multi-church kind of worship night thing that was called encounter and we had to cancel it unfortunately oh. but yeah we got like a foot of snow in portland last night and everything got shut down because you know we don't have snow plows and then over here where we got a little bit of snow on the ground they, they decided to shut down the schools for the day <laughs> have the have the news station started calling it anything like snowmageddon or yeah like or snowpocalypse <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. have white stuff on the ground it's not yeah. rain what do we do it's snowmageddon <laughs> Catastrophe. <laughs> I don't there know. I was just trying to freestyle should, another one. You should you should submit that to the news station. They'll probably catastrophe because they've already used the other ones. They need a new one. <laughs> yeah, they do. They need they need to punch it up a little bit. But I uh, mean, it's just uh, it's actually bright sunshine. Everything's melted off so far. I think again in town, like in, in Portland proper, it's like a lot more snow than we got. So yeah, who knows? It's probably a mess over there. Yeah. Well, speaking of current events, um, I just saw President Biden was recently in Ukraine. Uh, they mm. did kind of a quick like trip where they they kind of tried to sneak him in, but then everyone found out that he was there. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, obviously, there's a lot going on in Ukraine right now. There has been for the yes. past year. It's been about a year since Russia started their offensive in Ukraine. And, um, we actually know people who are over there and uh, absolutely dramatically affected by this war and we have some history there. And so today we thought it would be a timely thing for us to just share a bit of our hearts as far as the, the, that country is concerned, um, a bit of our experiences from over there and maybe give a perspective that, uh, is, is kind of unique because I think that most people today, we we get the lens of whatever media outlet we listen to or watch and all of it right. is extremely slanted <laughs> and right. it, 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 it's put into generally a political lens, honestly, like, yeah, unfortunately. I think, 
I think the easiest thing for people outside of Ukraine, particularly here in the U.S., I think the easiest thing for the audience to do is just to politicize this and pick apart the things they don't like about what's happening and who said what about what kind of support we should offer and say, well, no, we shouldn't do that. Or actually, hey, we should do more of that. And it's so easy for us to focus on those kinds of things and turn it into a Facebook war. Totally. But this is a real war. This is a real invasion. This is a real country that is being torn apart. Uh, missiles, mortars, <laughs> invasion. Yeah, just, <laughs> just to establish, like, politically, I'm just going to say right now that Russia is corrupt, Ukraine is corrupt, the United States is corrupt. We are all corrupt. <laughs> we are yes. all sinful, messed up people that... Have yes. selfish motivations. And so if we can just establish that everyone has issues, all of the countries yeah. have issues, but God loves all of these people. And, yeah. and there are believers in Russia that are being affected by this negatively. And, and, Very. Yes. you know, they're, they have their own side to all of this too. Yep. That is important. There are believers in Ukraine that are, going through a completely different perspective and, and, and trials. And there are believers here in the U S um, some of our friends that we'll talk about here in a little bit who are trying to help uh, yeah. people that are over there and, and bring That's aid right. and um, are really focused on the humanitarian side of, of things that are happening over there. And so yeah. just to establish that I, I know because we can get on all the political tangents and be like, well, so-and-so this, political leader from Ukraine or this political leader from Russia or this political leader in the United States said or did this. And yes, there's stuff on every level that uh, stuff happens that isn't right. And we'll share a story even of our own uh, experience in Ukraine of, uh, I guess you could say, kind of corrupt uh, government uh, overreach. A close call. <laughs> yes. But um, I think it's important that we remember that these are people that yeah. God loves and um, and that we should love as well. And so that's, I think our hope today is to maybe bring right. some, um, hopefully a little less politically charged uh, dialogue to the situation and, and help us again see just some of the beautiful people that are over there, the wonderful right. things that were happening and, and some of the things that even through the hardship continue to happen. And, um, and just to be keeping these people in prayer and, and, and on our minds. And um, it is, it's topic of the day. It's in the news right. a lot lately. And so right. uh, we're, we, again, we don't try and be super political here, but I think this is a great time in, 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 for us to maybe speak to something that we have some firsthand experience in. Right, right, exactly. Just to echo that, we're less interested in going over the political contents of what's happening right now and really just sharing more personally what we saw, what we felt, what we witnessed, and the relationships that we've developed and and maintained through the years uh, after going to Ukraine in 2015 and 2016. The friendships and what these people are facing now uh, and and some of the people we know that are there, you know, <laughs> boots on the ground, as it were, doing work on the front lines daily to try and help. So, yeah, we we first went to Ukraine in 2015. 
uh, I don't know if you remember kind of getting the invitation, John Micah, but I think at the time we were like, uh, almost like didn't really know what to expect. And we were like, wow, we have, we have fans there. I didn't know that people <laughs> knew our music there. Uh, it came as a surprise to me. I don't know. Do you remember how you felt about it? Uh, well, so, I mean, the, the first thing that's funny is like most Americans, um, it was in my mind, the Ukraine, right? Yeah. It had a the yeah. on the front of it. And, um, that region of the world was very heavily tied to the former Soviet Union. Um, yep. So, it, and it was a former Soviet Union territory, uh, which is why we so often refer to it as the Ukraine, because it was a territory uh, in that uh, in that system. Once we got there, they were quick to correct us and be like, "It's just Ukraine. It's not the Ukraine. We are a country. <laughs> like we are, we are independent. independent. Yeah. yeah, we are Sovereign Ukraine. Yep. Yeah, um, and." Uh, you and we learned that that was something that was still sort of a uh, a way of like putting them down from like the the Russian the for, the former Soviet point of view of like no we just we still just call that area the Ukraine and yeah. so people felt very strongly about it uh, when we went there we started to sense pretty quickly uh, what I would say was a very beautiful sense of. Uh, pride at what Ukraine was becoming and um, the fact that they were um, celebrating their independence together and mm -hmm. growing as a nation. Um, it felt very inspirational uh, to be there. In fact, I have a cool story about that that I'll tell in a few minutes um, that happened in a town called Khmelnytsky. You have to say it like that, like <laughs> with a little bit of in the back of your throat. Um <laughs> You know, like kind of like when your grandpa falls asleep in his lazy boy chair and, you know, Khmelnytsky. So, uh, but um, yeah, so going back more to like the beginning of the, the timeline for us, we were invited to come to Ukraine with another ministry and go the first, the first time we went there, we were scheduled to play in six different cities uh, and it was all over the place. It was north, south, east, west. Uh, you know, we flew into Kiev first, of course, uh, and then our first show was down in Nikolaev. Um, and, uh, you know, I, yeah, but back to the I didn't know what to expect thing. We show up for a sound check and we're, you know, working with the crew and we realize, oh, these guys are going to be with us on the whole trip. That's that's nice because, uh, you know, a little behind the scenes uh, perspective from bands here. When you travel overseas, it's already so different. Everything's so different. When you realize you're going to have the same crew multiple nights in a row, you feel a little bit more like at peace because you're like, okay, cool. That you know, we'll have consistency. We'll have people that know what they're doing. Um, but yeah, that first night, there was probably I don't know, ten thousand plus people that showed up at that outdoor stadium in Nikolaev, yeah. and um, we were absolutely stunned i mean i i really did not know what to expect when we got there but man what an energetic passionate crowd so uh eager to um you know hear the gospel and so eager to um see 
what what God had in store for their country as their churches were like really exploring stepping out beyond orthodox church and and the uh, the more evangelical churches were kind of taking their place in like sharing the gospel and and building a youth movement and mm-hmm. it was just really exciting to me and starting that that very first night yeah and just for a little perspective on the timing of this too because this was 2015 it was almost exactly a year after the revolution took place in kiev in 2014 yeah at maidan square yes and so there was i guess nationally there was also kind of this i would say birthing of this kind of like independent um ideology uh that Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't here in 1776, but I would imagine resembled right. a little bit of the American ethos of like, we're our right. own country, we're, we want to do things our way. And uh, because of that, America is like the best example of this. And so they really did look to Western culture um, and to America very fondly. And yeah. so as we came in and as Americans, what, what do you mean in particular about like the U.S. being the best example of that? Uh, for a country to be birthed out of a out of passion and zeal of the people, yeah, and independence yeah. from from what was formerly a world superpower. Yeah. Um, you know, that the was USSR controlling and oppressing. Yeah. Yeah. The USSR was a superpower. And yeah. so this was a small ragtag group of people now that have their own country kind of, you know, right. that's what in the formations of the United States, it was England was a superpower. Right. And, and the revolutionary war was a bunch of ragtag you know, farmers and people farmers, going, yeah. hey, yeah. <laughs> we want to be our own thing. We want to be independent. We want to live our lives in freedom in our own way. And so that's right. I, I really felt like a similar thread, obviously hundreds of years apart in in how it was happening. But I, I think that, that kind of com- camaraderie or, or similarity that they felt towards the American story made mm-hmm. them... Um, the, the mid America and the United States just very appealing to them. They love yeah. our music. They love our movies. They love our clothing. Um, yeah. And it was funny because there were like clothing companies over there that would just print English words. <laughs> Random, yeah, English words on yeah, the t-shirt. And you're like, that t-shirt makes no sense. But they're like, but it's English. It's cool. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and because it, it it's American. Doesn't it look American? Yeah. And you're like, no, it, it makes no sense. But yeah, they this were is really... a perfect time to tell you that story that happened actually because this okay, is exactly this is exactly what I, I felt was happening. So, um, Khmelnytsky was one of the cities we played early in the tour the first time we were there in 2015 um i can't remember if it was second or third but it was like one of the first few cities we played and um you know i think we've mentioned this before when we had nate on we were talking about how ukrainians basically stay up all night long and like after shows we would always go to sauna and we would go sit in these you know hotter than you can even imagine saunas and they would yeah. whack us with oak branches and we would do cold plunges and then get back <laughs> in the hot sauna. Um, but we, <laughs> it was so funny whenever we would go play a show, um, you know, and then the concert was over and everything was packed up. 
at the end of the night, we would go to like some restaurant to go get dinner. All of us, this whole crew of like 30 people, remember? So in Khmelnytsky, we were in this restaurant after the show that night. And I was sitting across the, uh, from the table. Uh, I was sitting across from Sasha, you know, uh, Ukrainian businessman, Sasha, uh, (laughs) So for our listeners, you don't know this guy, but he's quite a character. Very, very funny. He spoke very little English, but was probably one of the funniest people we've ever met. And is actually like a, an actor there in Ukraine. He had been in like shows and commercials and yeah. movies and stuff. The, the little bit of English that he had, he used to the fullest <laughs> yes. to be funny. <laughs> yeah. Which is really Sasha. hard in different languages to be funny. And he, yeah. he accomplished it. He's, he's great. He's so much fun. That's right. And Sasha, by the way, his name is Alexander Simochev. And uh, um, most of the dudes we've known that are named Alexander, they go by Sasha. So I feel like everyone's either Sasha or Pasha or something like that there. So anyway, I was sitting across from Sasha and he looks at me and, and he basically said like, James, I noticed you sing tonight. And and I was like, yeah, a little bit. I, I sing you know, backup vocals when we're playing. And he's like, you sing for us now. And I was like, (laughs) no, he's like, come on, you sing for us now. And I was like, dude, we're sitting in a restaurant, like look around. We're just like, you know, and and we, we were at this big table, all of us, but there were other tables with other diners, other patrons at this restaurant, like sitting around. And, um, and he kept pestering me. He's like, sing for us. (laughs) And so, I don't know why this was the first song that popped into my head, but I put my hand over my heart and I stood up and I started singing the star spangled banner. (laughs) (laughs) And I got like, I got like a couple lines into it. And then Sasha stood up and he started singing glory to Ukraine, the, the Ukraine national anthem. He started singing that really loudly. And then, you know, some of the other guys in our group stood up and started singing with him too. And then like one by one, the people in the restaurant all stood and started singing this song. And so I just sat down and watched these people. And I had a big smile on my face, just thinking like, man, this is such a cool moment I'm witnessing. I, I felt honored actually to witness such a special moment of like these people have this like passion bubbling, uh, you know, underneath the, the um, surface uh, at all times. And it just burst forth. And in this moment, they all felt united enough to like sing, you know, their national anthem and celebrate total strangers. Yeah. Sitting at other tables, just, and I remember thinking we're singing the national anthem. Let's all stand up. And <laughs> right. sing it as loud as we can. It was so loud. Everyone That's was right. just belting it out. Yeah. And I remember thinking, man, uh, this must have been what it was like so long ago uh, during the birth yeah. of America. Just people that were so excited to share this passion together that they had to stand and sing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it was just a really cool moment. I- I'll remember that forever. And and I would say as Americans there too, um, during this time, like in our lifetime, you know, I was born in 1980 and I remember in the 80s, this sense of even in our public schools and things like that, this kind of American pride, you stand yep. for the flag, hand over your heart, yep. recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Like there was a lot of 
kind of national pride things that were instilled in our schools and in our culture. Um, in the last decade, like a lot of that has been removed and been controversy and, you know, yeah, so it's been replaced with this like cynicism and, and yeah. And so for, in a way to see kind of that pure national like pride was right. really endearing and kind of like, man, like this is, this is kind of cool. Remember when America used to kind of be that way? <laughs> yeah. Like, where yeah. We, yeah, if somebody stood up and started singing the national anthem, you're like, yeah, that's our national anthem, you know? And, yeah, because I mean, you and I have both seen people here in our own home country that are like kind of absurdly nationalistic. And I yes. think that that's really silly too. Totally. But I do love this country and I do love, you know, it's a grand old flag. I, I mean, I love the United <laughs> States. I love, I love, yeah. you know, we were talking about before we started recording how when I grew up in Ridgefield, Connecticut, speaking of the Revolutionary War, one of the major battles, the, the Battle of Ridgefield was fought there. And I grew up in a little town right outside of New York City that would like frequently do big parades and like Revolutionary War reenactments. And there was buildings in my town that still had like cannonballs stuck in the side of the building that were from that battle between the British yeah. and, you know, the militia groups. And like, I, I love it. You know, I, I love how diverse and how beautiful our country is geographically. Yeah. I love how diverse and beautiful our country is culturally. And, uh, you know, we really are a safe place among the you know the countries of the world for anybody and everybody can come yeah. here and be free and that's hard for some people yes that's true but like i think that there's a lot to be proud of and and we have gotten to travel around the world and see the impact that the united states has made um for better or worse you know I, i'm not like you know, I haven't just like totally drank the Kool-Aid. I know that we've put our foot in it in some places and, and been a problem. Um, yeah. But it, there was something beautiful about watching our Ukrainian friends celebrate this moment in this little restaurant <laughs> and thinking to myself, you know, yeah, back in the 1700s, you know, in some pub in New Hampshire or Massachusetts, there was probably a group of people that stood to their feet and sang this song together. And I was like, yeah. this is so cool to watch this, yeah. you know? Yeah. And if, if you feel like you've never seen that before, uh, there's always the rodeo. It still happens. There, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you're dude. like, you go, what are you guys talking about? I, uh, this this kind of national pride, everyone stand up singing. It happens at rodeos still. There, yeah, you, yeah. You got you get some of the good old vibes at the at the rodeo. So go. Yeah, I, I encourage you go to a rodeo and you'll get those warm American feelings. Support your local <laughs> cowboy. <laughs> but uh, so any yeah. Anyways, coming back to Ukraine. Um, I, I think that that like kind of similarity, they loved Americans. Like as soon yeah. as people found out we were from America and that we were an American rock band, we not only were we Americans, but we brought like the kind of music that America is known for um, yeah. in just a very loud kind of brash sort of way. It, that's so against the culture that, that they had come out of in yeah. communism <laughs> Like com everything communism is like very rigid and structured and, you know, it's, it's, 
it's a totally different, totally different thing. And we did get to see, we can talk about this probably another episode more at length, but we get, did get to see some of that when we went to Belarus because they still currently are a communist country and we played a show there and it was very interesting uh, to see like active communism today. But, um, but yeah, I think for these Ukrainian people, there's just like, they have this love and boisterousness for American culture, American people, which honestly made us, it made our job so easy because we were like, we were the coolest, most popular kids in town just by yeah. where we were from before <laughs> yeah. we even did anything cool. And then yeah. if we played a good show, that only helped. Um, yep. But what was really cool for us, I think, was it made it so easy then to speak to them and they would listen to everything that we had to say. Right. And True. so sharing the gospel and sharing our faith openly was again kind of countercultural there based on their history and not something that they were used to seeing on a daily basis and so these large scale events 10,000 people in a soccer stadium with a big american rock and roll concert and people talking about their faith sharing their faith was kind of unheard of or just unrivaled right like this this kind of stuff didn't happen there right um and it's not a super wealthy country, too. So to have right. really good production and really big shows, um, it it takes money to do that. And so right. we were there, you know, as a part of a as as part of an outreach, and with you know, Pulse uh, was part of that, and we were able to partner with those guys and really make make this happen. Um, Thanks to the generosity of honestly a lot of Americans, uh, predominantly, and there were there were some generous Ukrainians as well uh, that had money that were part of it as well. But overall, there was really just people came together and said, "We want to see a movement of God in this country," and and you know a bunch of people came together to make that those events happen. Um, and it was incredible. It was absolutely yeah. incredible the response that the people that came to those events had and the connection that we felt with the people that were there, how hungry they were for faith, how hungry they were for freedom, how hungry they were for a different perspective than maybe where they'd come from. Um, and it was all kind of part of this, I don't know, I guess the, that, that revi- revival slash revolution happening together, which again, I think is right. very reminiscent of the American history of faith very and, much. Yep. and independence was so hand in hand in what was happening. Um, so yeah, so it, I think those things were really important to what was going to happen over the coming shows, our relationship with the country. And I think even as we look at what's happening in Ukraine now, I think there was a window of opportunity there where God was doing something really powerful uh, in the hearts and minds of the people. And we were just privileged to get to be a part of it at the right time and the right place. Um, Because I think, I think it was a narrow window that I don't know what it's going to look like next year or five years or 10 years from now. No one does, but I think there was a really special, especially them. They don't know either. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I think that window of time, it was really great that we got to be a part of it. I'm thankful for that. And I really do yeah. think that God was moving in, in a very powerful ways. And we got to be a part of that, see that and experience that firsthand. And that was, it was really, really incredible. And, right. uh, and, and so thankful that 
that that happened, right? Because mm-hmm. um, when those opportunities are there, they're important. And so I felt like we were able to kind of seize the moment, so to speak, of like, mm-hmm. it's here, you know, it, when in history has this region of the world had this much freedom to be right. able to do something like this? Right. And right now- In some of those places, yeah, yeah. In some of those places, we were the first people ever to have, you know, that kind of crowd to to preach the gospel to. Um, yeah. I also remember describing to a friend when I got back, um, it felt like we, the band, we were the ones that had the front row seats to like the real show. You know, mm-hmm. people were clamoring to come to these shows, maybe because it was uh, the first time they had, you know, seen a big event like that in their city, or it was an American band playing rock and roll. Uh, and I think even the draw of it being Christian was interesting to a lot of people. Um, you know, these were, you mentioned the generosity of a lot of American supporters and some supporters in Ukraine as well. These shows were all free too. So it was free to the public. It was, uh, it was outreach oriented. Um, but like, you know, like if you went to a a festival in the summer in the States, like a big outdoor kind of production, big, you know, rock band production, It, it was drawing people in, but I felt like, you know, so, so the, um, the point of view or the perspective there could be that these people had front row seats to this very special, unique thing that was happening. But I remember telling several friends when we got back, it really felt like we had front row seats to what was really happening. Um, I saw all kinds of people coming to these shows. There was a lot of young people. There was a lot of youth. um, But we also had places where there was like, you know, just like drunk people off the streets in the front row. Um, and there was, there was a little bit of everybody, um, you know, and we saw like visibly saw people kind of melt a little bit throughout the night. Like maybe people would come with like a hardened kind of body language. And, or I remember seeing like, you know, a girl in the front row, um, you know, dark eye makeup, kind of like Marilyn Manson shirt. And I saw like visible scars on her arms from cutting probably, um, presumably, but most likely. Um, and I remember watching as throughout the night, like she began to lift her arms and sing to the Lord uh, as we got into some of the other songs. And I remember seeing her, raise her hand, make a decision for Christ and, and get connected with the discipleship resources that we were all offering as part of this tour, um, in partnership with that other ministry. And, um, it was really remarkable. Like we were seeing people who had been oppressed religiously for decades, decades. They had been told lies. God isn't real. You can't, have a Bible and, you know, it's full of lies anyway, you know? Um, and, uh, we saw the liberation of those people spiritually. Yeah. And then even the, the spiritual components that were in place back then were still very state controlled. The Orthodox church had a lot of, uh, it had been infiltrated by a lot of state 
run people. And they found that that right. was actually a, a better way to control people was through religion as well. And so, you know, there was stories of basically, you know, like, uh, what was the secret service type of undercover people being priests and things like that. So they would have mm. access to people, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and under the USSR. And, and so, yeah, so I think there was, I think especially for young people, there was even a distrust of traditional religious organizations and things like that too, right? Because there's this, there's this history, it's very complicated of, of the state using religion as well. And, you know, uh, there's, there's a, there was a lot there going on. And so to have kind of this unbridled, just, <laughs> we can say whatever we want, um, is, was it like a different concept here in America? We're like first amendment. Mm -hmm. That's like, I, we say whatever we want, whenever we want, pretty much like mm -hmm. <laughs> Stephen, when we shouldn't, but, um, I think that that was it, their, their religious background, their religious perspective and, and maybe even wounds for some people mm -hmm. was pretty complex. And so to mm -hmm. have kind of this whole new way of looking at it, um, where they could discover it for themselves, on their own terms and, and maybe directly with God, not through priests and not through other people, not filtered through all of these other things, I think was kind of a new concept and to see it carried out. And I think that's what we got to see a bit was people going, wow, I, I can experience God firsthand and yeah. this is new and I can do it openly and freely right now. Yes, yeah. in, in the center of the city. And there were people that told us in a few of the cities that likely, we don't know this for certain, but likely this was the first time the gospel had ever been openly shared in the city yeah. center. Like, right. it had, you know, they were not aware of uh, ever happening before. Right. Which is pretty insane to get to be mm -hmm. there, the first ones to ever do this, you know? And, yeah. and that was, that was just, it was just absolutely incredible. Um, and yet, at the same time, I, not to be naive, there were still political pressures happening all around us. And there was war happening on the eastern part of the country at this time. At, yeah. Back then, it was Russian separatists, who was not the country of Russia officially, but largely reported to be supported by uh, financially and, and with weapons and things like that by Russia. And they, you know spray paint out the logos or whatever. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and so that it was kind of this ragtag group of separatists that were causing problems on the Eastern border. Um, mm -hmm. there were Ukrainian soldiers that were, you know, soldiers for their country that were trying to hold the lines over there and keep these separatists from overrunning the cities. And, and then even internally in the capital, there was kind of this battle of what are we, are we, you know, how much is faith going to be involved in our government? And like I said, there was some complex history there with the Russian Orthodox Church being very political. Um, and we saw that still in some of the towns we were in where the priests had a lot of power with the mayors and with the political leaders. And they were kind of yeah. all in cahoots together as far as like running the town. And and so there was some, there was some complexities there. And so there was also yeah. a sect that was like, similar to America and that like, we want to keep government and, and religion separate. What does that look like? And so you had a lot of complex things because 
this was still being birthed, right? Like people are figuring out what they are and who they are. Um, and that was challenging for us a few times too, because like when we were in Kiev, um, of what are the, if we're doing things that are endorsed by the government or by the state or signed off on by them, what does that look like? And, you know, how do we get some of these things done where we can get permits as well? And, you know, there was some right. hoops to jump through that were tricky, um, because of the dynamics and, um, I, I wasn't a part of all of the, we had negotiations. We had some local Ukrainian team people, uh, take care of some of that, but I'm pretty yeah. sure there may have been some, uh, underhanded things that happen in order to get the permits <laughs> money may, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. You know, maybe. like there was, there was some stuff, some stories, some things you're like, okay, what, what did it actually take to get us here? I don't actually want to know. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but it was it was challenging, and I and I remember when we played in Kiev, we had the opportunity. We got invited to play uh, as it was a government sponsored festival event. Do you, do you remember what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, it it was basically like the um, I, I think in, in the translation of what the name of that holiday uh, would be is like Kiev City Celebration. Like it was like a it was like a historical date of independence for the city of Kiev. Um, it was like this national celebration day. And we were there in Kiev uh, because the next night we were playing at a famous rock club there called Stereo Plaza, which was one of my favorite shows of our entire career, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and But the night before, there was this um, outdoor festival and there was a lot of like traditional ukrainian music and dances and stuff and somehow uh through some of the connections of those people that were like directors on our tour we got to perform on stage at this kiev city celebration night yeah. um and we had to do an acoustic performance mainly because the logistics of trying to get all of our stuff set up on their stage in such short notice was like too much. So we ended yeah. up doing um, acoustic performance. And uh, I remember we were told like, you know, don't preach tonight. Yep. Don't preach the gospel. Because um, it was affiliated with the government. And so that right. would have been politically taboo. And yeah, they did not want us opening those doors. <laughs> Right. And so we were curious whether we could even play like our songs that were kind of like gospel message kind of songs or some of the worship songs that we were playing yeah. uh, in our set list at the time. And and we had been playing this version of, um, uh, what was the Chris Tomlin song we were singing? Uh, How Great Is Our God. Yeah, How Great Is Our yeah. God, where we were singing in English and then switched to uh Russian, predominantly people were still speaking Russian throughout Ukraine back in 2015. So we would switch to their language and let the crowd sing in their language, how great yep. is our God. And we were worried, like, I wonder how this is going to go down. But something pretty funny happened <laughs> while we were on stage. Do you remember how we got away with everything? Yeah. Well, and I, I, I remember there being some discussions of like, they were not messing around and they're like, we will arrest you. Like if you don't do what we say. So there was like some pretty harsh, like do what we say, or it's not yeah, like, we're going to put you in jail. Like it was that level of yeah. we're not messing around. And yeah. so, yeah, we did play. I think we played our song in Jesus name, which is basically gospel message. 
<laughs> very overt. We yep. we sang "How Great Is Our God" and everyone started singing it in Ukrainian and like all together, echoing through the square. <laughs> yep. How great is our God? We're like, uh, they're it singing goes. it. We started it, but they're singing yeah. it. Um, yeah. yeah. So we were a little nervous that like cops might be waiting for us <laughs> side stage yep. to be like, that's not what we talked about. You guys, you know, did not do what we said. And right. I remember before we went on, like a group, like actually prayed together and it was just like, God, just cover this, allow the words to go out that need to go out, allow people to hear what they need to hear and protect these guys from the government <laughs> mm -hmm. coming in. And, and, uh, and sure enough, the, uh, uh, the, all of the leaders that were kind of putting this thing on. Yeah, all the political leaders there in Kiev. They were having a good old time and had a quite a bit of alcohol, <laughs> as I yeah, recall. Yeah, they, they were all in the bar, <laughs> like at, like in the same kind of city block. They went to a bar while we were on stage. Yep. They told us, like, don't do this, don't do that. And then they all went to this bar. And so... <laughs> No, they didn't actually hear us do anything, yeah. and so they didn't we got even know. Yeah, they were having yeah. a good old time in the bar and uh, getting a little tipsy, and didn't didn't even have a clue what we did. So we were totally yeah. fine. And but it was <laughs> it was awesome because here's the other thing: is again 2015. So this is a year after Maidan Square. And if you don't yep. know that story, you can Google it. There's YouTube footage. There's yeah. There's a, a documentary film called Maidan, which is M A I D A N. Yeah, and so you can actually see all the things that happened. So a year later, and we are one square over from Maidan. In fact, as I recall, where we're at is very near uh, a church where a bunch of people came and, and took shelter um, because people were being shot in the streets. And so they ran into right. this church basically for for shelter. So, it, I mean, that is we're in the epicenter of like where all of this stuff went down a year before and yeah. we're hearing how great is our God being sung in multiple languages echoing through the streets. And you're just yeah. like, whoa, this is crazy. And then do you remember this? The next day when we were at Stereo Plaza, that rock club, Yes. Um, we were told that, you know, hey, last night was really cool. Here's what you guys probably don't know. As the crowd left and, and went home throughout the night, all throughout the streets of Kiev and like in the subway and everything, people were singing, how great is our God? Yeah. And it kept like so, going throughout the city. I have a little bit different memory and uh, on okay. that specific, and I'm trying to remember, it, it was been a few years, so I'm trying to remember everything, but I remember the yeah. people that we were with that like our local team yep. were, they were like on Facebook and, you know, different social media platforms both mm. after the show. And then I think we had a really early flight or something. So it was like, you know, three or four in the morning and we were headed to the airport and they're like, something's going on. They're singing throughout the entire, like people are reporting singing in the subway and singing on the streets. And like, and this is hours after the show. They're like, like everyone's trying to figure out what's going on. Cause the whole city is singing. Like there's singing echoing everywhere. And there's all these reports on social media. And then like, we started to hear, what are they saying? Oh, they're singing worship songs is how great is our God. It's these worships, you know, and other songs. And yeah. what had happened, yeah, is all of the people left the show and and had just continued singing. And and a lot of the people that came to the show took public transit. So they were riding the subways and the buses and 
they just all continued to sing and it like was contagious and people joined in. And so literally that night for hours after just anywhere you went in the city, there was just echoing praise and worship happening Yeah, (laughs) in in the capital city of Kiev, which was Mm -hmm. just like unthinkable. Um, Also with their culture, they're so reserved. Like I don't think I saw or heard a single person singing openly or even talking loudly and overtly unless they were drunk uh anywhere anytime they're very like structured and reserved and kind of like if you're like hey man how's it going they're like yes (laughs) that's it (laughs) it's not a real like boisterous you know type of culture like you go other places Mm -hmm. in the world and um you know you have very boisterous cultures where people are very you know animated and it's not that way at all so even making it more unusual for open singing to happen, which is why people were kind of concerned. Like what is happening? Why is everyone singing? Like, this is weird. Um, because it was, it was so uncultural, you know, countercultural. Yeah. Um, and, but then so cool once we realized what was happening. Yeah. Um, and then again, to realize like, Oh my gosh, like we got to be a small part of that. And, yeah. you know, just, just the fact that we got to be on stage where all these people came together and I feel like they were so empowered and energized um, because I think believers didn't get together like that in large groups like that. And so you right. had thousands of people come together and it, it, you know, it makes me think of like the old Testament story of, uh, I think it was Elijah that was like, there's nobody else. It's just me. I'm the only one, you know? Yeah. And when in yeah. reality there, there were other people that still believed in God. And, right. and I think in, in this case, you bring them all and put them in a room together and then openly praise and worship and talk about it and just get everybody all pumped up. And then they leave and they're like, that was incredible. And that energy and all of that carried with them as they left that place. And, and I I really believe that God was moving in kind of a a major revival way uh, through that. And I think it it wasn't, and I think that continued the stories we heard from the days after and the weeks after was that there was a continued movement in the local churches and in the local youth groups and in the local areas of people that were really Im- emboldened in their faith and just continued yeah. to to carry on what had been started, um, you know, on those single evenings of just these big events. And it was, yeah. gosh, so cool. And our friend who is one of the pastors over in the town called Melitopol over in the east um, Jean Voigt, um, great, great guy, great speaker, really connects with the youth, um, very passionate about, um, you know, seeing a movement of the Holy Spirit. Um, they started to put together their own youth conferences that were like nationwide, like churches gathering together and having these youth conferences. And uh, it was just a really remarkable first trip there in 2015. And as soon as we got back, we were kind of still, you know, buzzing with all of the energy and excitement of what we had just experienced. So we basically started planning uh, our return trip for 2016 right away. Yeah. So in 2015, we played in six cities, and, and then and the w- next year, go the Melitopol trip. That was the furthest we got east, wasn't it? To the yes, was that the was that the show that was the closest to the eastern border? Correct. And I think before we talk about 2016, we got to talk about that church and defending their city, uh, which was, yeah, because what 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 was the term we had for that church? We we joke. I don't remember kind of, actually. 
I, I remember several of us calling it the sniper church. <laughs> sniper church. <laughs> um, and because and I don't remember if it was the church we played at or one of the neighboring churches, but as I recall, the story was the Russian separatists were coming into town mm-hmm. and were going to overrun the city. It looked like they were going to lose the city, which, again, keep in mind, this is a ragtag group of ungoverned soldiers that are unattached to any government entity, and generally it was a lot of bad things when those people came into town. Um, yeah. And so people are defending their homes, their families, their livelihood, their jobs, their businesses. And so the people, and again, this is so reminds me of like early America, the people Mm -hmm. of the city took up arms to defend their city. And a bunch of the people in the church, the, the, the church was positioned on the edge of the city, um, with a clear line of sight to where the, the soldiers, the enemy soldiers were coming into the city. So they took up sniper positions on the roof of the church and basically started taking out guys that were coming across to come into the city and it was instrumental in holding the city because they couldn't anybody that crossed that space wouldn't make it and so it it kept them from advancing and they basically because of the sniper position on the top of their church defended and held the city from those separatist soldiers coming in and overrunning the entire city which was just like that's like crazy to think about um and, and then to think about what would you do if that was your city, you know, and your yeah. church, <laughs> like, yeah. holy smokes, um, that, but that was a real thing that had happened like a year or two prior, um, that they were telling us that this, you know, and I was like, you guys are the, like, you guys are pretty bad to the bone. <laughs> holy smokes. Yeah. Uh, that it was just, it was just nuts. And, but in that we were also so close to the war zone, uh, while we were there, I remember that they had notified the what was the u.s embassy that we were there and they were like hey mm-hmm. if anything happens like because they were worried about a full russian invasion back then too yeah and they said yes, if russia were. decides to invade which is possible like they will probably overrun within 24 hours like a huge section here like we'll have to so they actually were like putting together a plan to get us out of there if like anything <laughs> happened i remember yeah. going through remember all the barricades where we were going the wrong direction they had all like yep. the, <laughs> the big x's like for the tank uh you know like those checkpoints with like the yep. the big wooden and steel x's and barbed wire and all the soldiers with their guns and we're like they check our ids and we like wave and we're like wait we're going towards the stuff. We're going the yeah. wrong way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember of on that. I remember on that trip over to Melitopol, we stopped at a gas station and we had already gone through some of these like yes, pretty sketchy looking border sections and you know, they had looked at all of our paperwork and there were soldiers and uh, they were all armed and everywhere just looked really intimidating and and like scary really. And we pulled over at a gas station um, and we were all like kind of stepping out of the van and the vehicle stretching our legs and stuff. And some car on the road like backfired and everyone like ducked. Oh man. Whoa. <laughs> like we all hit the ground. Yeah. We're like, here it is. There's the attacks coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here, this is it. It's going to, that's some, yeah. We thought a bomb went off or something. And yeah. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. Um, but that was like, so this is again, 2015 on the Eastern side of Ukraine. That was just kind of part of their life. It was normal. And we were, you know, all these military checkpoints and we were within, I think like 30 or 40 miles from like the actual conflict where bullets and 
bombs and missiles were flying. Um, mm -hmm. And so it was, yeah, for these people that live there, uh, very real. And that's also why we didn't do an outside concert in that city. It wasn't, they didn't feel safe enough to do an mm. outdoor event. So we did it indoors at a church. It was the only one um, of that run that was in, in a church. Everything else was kind of neutral venue, outdoor, you know, city center, city park, yeah, stadium, you know, soccer stadium, yeah. whatever. Yeah, at um, all the other cities. Yeah, so that yeah. one was smaller and more controlled as it needed to be. Um, yeah. But still really cool to get to interact with the church and the believers who were there and to hear Very what cool. they're yeah. dealing with and what, you know, kind of struggles that they were walking through. And I mean, to the point of, yeah, people in their community literally defending their own city um by force you know it's pretty crazy like here in america we haven't had anything like that uh in a very very long time right like it's yeah. been um it's been a long time since we've ever since we've had any kind of actual invasion <laughs> on our yeah. soil where we had to defend our homes and so yeah um man it's it just really changed i think um, when you experience that kind of combined with like our history and then to kind of see almost this similar history happening simultaneously of Ukraine in the modern era of like trying to be independent and trying to exist on their own, but still conflict and war. And uh, it was, it was pretty heavy, but then also really cool to see the way that freedom was allowing uh, incredible movements of God to really change people's lives on a spiritual front. And so there was really kind of these two fronts happening. I felt, um, of both the spiritual and the physical, um, that was very evident in mm. ev everywhere that we went and especially yeah. as we went East. But, um, mm. those things, yeah. those things were, yeah, very, very real and very alive. And, and like you said, so then 2016, we're like, we got to come back. Like what is happening over there right now right. is unbelievable. And, and I think even then we felt like there is a window of time. We don't know how long yes. this window is open. And so there is a sense of urgency right now. Yeah. That is really important. That and it was hard to pull together another tour of that magnitude within just a year later. Yeah. And, but that very, I remember us having that conversation a lot about like the window of time conversation. It just seems like the Lord is really providing this opportunity right now. And yeah. so we got to do it now. Uh, and so, yeah, in two, in 2015, we played in six different cities. Um, we played twice in Kiev, but six different cities. We were in, you know, Nikolaev, Kiev, Odessa, Nipropetrovsk, Melitopol, um, Khmelnytsky, you know, uh, and then in 2016, we played in a bunch of other cities. We played in some of those same towns again, but we played in, I think like 13 cities in 2016. We played in a few other countries too. That's when we got the opportunity to play yeah. in Belarus. Um, we also went to, uh, Hungary and played in Budapest and we played in like, Austria and a few other places. Czech, Czech Republic was Czech another, Republic. That's yeah, right. In that, that town called uh, Stettin. Yeah. And um, man, but the second tour we did in Ukraine in 2016. So the first one blew us away because we got to we got to experience 
with almost no frame of reference beforehand. Like I said, I didn't know what to expect, but we got to experience this like massive movement of God. And everywhere we went, there was like 10,000 people at these like venues, these stadiums and stuff. And, uh, and then when we came back in 2016, I mean, some of these crowds were like 20,000, 25,000, yeah. you know, nearly 30,000 in that, in that town called, uh, Kriviri in, uh, Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, it was insane, man. And that was also just another, another time where we just saw God's spirit poured out upon a people who were hungry to know him. I felt like it was so, you know, these people had been fighting for so long for their identity and their freedom that when we really got to convey that message of like freedom in Christ identity through, you know, the spirit of God coming upon you, setting you free from your sins, uh, experience experiencing forgiveness for the first time in your life, walking in that new covenant with Jesus. I felt like people were so open to that message and it was like um, really, really encouraging. I would say in the States when we do sort of evangelistic kind of outreach events that we have done more in the past, um, we would typically see, I'm just estimating, but we would typically see like 20% or less of the crowd really make decisions for Christ. But there in Ukraine, I mean, it was like 40, 45% of the crowd most nights. Yeah. Thousands and thousands of people choosing faith in Jesus every night. And it was, you know, we got to go to a bunch of new places and, and continue to just see the beautiful heart of these people who, uh, you said culturally are pretty stoic and pretty like, you know, kind of <laughs> not very em- emotive and stuff. But it, I, I would say yes and no. There was sort of like this funny thing about Ukrainians, at least all the ones that we really spent a lot of time with, is like they are fun and silly and happy and like very artistic. And um, I don't know. It, it's an interesting culture that we got to walk around in. I think we went with the, like the intention of like going there to serve and not to necessarily bring our Americanism with us and like make them do things our way, uh, but really to just come and serve them. But, you know, I think this brings up another interesting uh, point to discuss as far as like global missions, but like, how do we who are Americans come to a place and it's okay to be ourselves and be us, but how do we show up and not try to colonialize with our mission efforts, you know? And so we had a really beautiful time of like celebrating stuff like that with the Ukrainian people, especially in 2016. I felt like everything was really clicking into place that year when we were there. What do you think about that? Yeah, I I mean, that's one of the things that was so easy about doing what we were doing there during that time period was they wanted us to be ourselves. You know what I mean? They right. loved American culture. They loved what we did. That's what they right. wanted. So it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, square peg through a round hole where we're like, you will be like Americans, <laughs> you know, right. that we were what 
a lot of they well, a lot of things they were already desiring from a cultural perspective, from even a government perspective. I think they were looking, you know, towards America for kind of some ideas yeah. of how to set up their own country. Um, yeah. And so I, I think that there was a lot that, that we brought that was very natural to that situation. Um, so we could be ourselves, but at the same time, I think in what you're getting at here too, is we didn't really dive into, well, you know, your church should look like this or the structure of this needs to look like that. We just did our thing and said, here's what we have to offer. And they loved it and it energized them. And we, and we left it at that, honestly. And, and right. then, and then really hoped that the local, we, we hoped that our partnerships locally could carry on, you know, from that, uh, the continued work because right. we're not going to be there, you know, years later. So right. I, I did feel like it was a good combination of local teams being there for the long term to meet the needs of the people where they're at, which I think now is really important because we don't have access the way that we did back then, right? Like for us to go over there, we can't go over there and do a big show in downtown anywhere, you know, at this point, like that, that ship, at least for this season has sailed. Like it's, it's a war zone. Now <laughs> you don't, yeah. you don't do that. You don't put yeah. 30,000 people in a city center in the middle right. of a war zone. <laughs> like that's a bad yeah, idea. A big target. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of bad things that could happen today if that were to be the case. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I think, I think it was the, honestly, I think it was just the right thing at the right time. God was doing something and we got to be a part of it and it was, it was really incredible. Yeah. Um, but that being said, there was resistance too that happened right. in, internally. Yeah. It was a lot of fun, but it wasn't easy. It was not, no, it, it was easy to, proclaim the gospel and for people to hear it because it was the right window of time, like we have said. And that's why that part was easy because it was yeah. God. He had prepared, he had aligned all of these things to make them happen. It was the right period of time, but it was <laughs> perilous sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as we, you know, this is probably, I mean, the least of our worries, but as we shared when Nate was on the podcast, you know, travel throughout Ukraine is pretty hard. And I would yeah. imagine much harder now with the road systems. Um, but we were, uh, you know, we had our lives threatened in a few of the different cities and, and, uh, I'm sure you want to talk about this, but in a town over in the West called Vinitsa, uh, we were almost put in jail, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, that, and that's what's so funny is on the east side was where like stuff was actually pretty gnarly, like as far as war happening. The west side was generally peaceful, but interestingly, I think that also emboldened some of the political leaders there to like try yep. and have more control because yeah, they they take didn't advantage have, of people. Yeah, yeah, they didn't have a war front that they were battling. They kind of had right. their nice peaceful little place, and they wanted to wanted to keep it under control and kind of keep right. it keep it their deal. And one thing that's really different about the way that the government worked over there is that mayors of cities actually have a lot more power. Um, than mayors here in America, um, yeah. they they control a lot more, and they they just yeah they have they a lot typically more control the police usually. Yeah, so there's just yep. there's not as many checks and balances, and some of the mayors that you know are known to be corrupt and and have you know kind of this. Uh, I don't want to like 
totally paint an inappropriate picture, but it felt very uh, like mob mafia style stuff. Yeah, like sometimes. Gotham City kind of. Yeah, it just it yeah. just seemed that way, and I, yeah. I don't know. That was just my perception from some of the interactions we got from a few of the towns. Uh, yeah. I, not all mayors that with some, some of them were great. They seemed great. Right. Like, but totally specifically, I, I mean, most of the places, everything yeah. went just fine. Yeah. To be totally honest, but specifically in this one city and to kind of bring it back to kind of the, the interconnectedness of, of religion, the mayor mm-hmm. and, um, and the Orthodox priests were very close uh, in their, both their, kind of governing of the city and kind of controlling the region. And um, they were very not happy about what we were doing because it very much went against kind of the whole ethos of that Orthodox. And uh, and I think that this is one of the cities where the skull t-shirts thing actually had kind of the, the news had worked its way over there and had become a problem. So I'll just tell our listeners real quick about this. So uh, the first night we were in Ukraine in 2016, uh, we, you know, uh, I, I woke up, I was really jet lagged and um, woke up early that morning and I decided to go for, a run. I decided to go for a jog. First of all, I was the only person jogging in this town. Like people <laughs> don't jog there. So I was up early in the morning. And the other thing is like mostly old people are up at that point. So I go run and it's the summertime. So it's like pretty warm out and I'm wearing a cutoff uh, misfits t-shirt. So it's got the big skull logo on the front and I'm, you know, covered in tattoos and stuff. And at the time I had like the kind of floppy platinum blonde Justin Biebery kind of hair. And I'm a lot taller than most of these people. So I must have looked like a freaking alien to these people. <laughs> like, what is that guy's problem? And and I would go running by people, you know, and I, I like making friends. So as I would run past people, I would go, hi. <laughs> and, you know, so obviously American. And then I smile and wave at them. And they're like, they just scowl back yeah. at me. Like, Which is, again... Oh, culturally they don't do that they're not just like (laughs) hey what's up yeah hi (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i go running by and then um when i got back from my run i think i like took a selfie and posted it online it was like uh woke up early super jet lag decided to go for a run so i'm all sweaty and gross but i'm so excited to be here excited to play the show tonight and hope to see you you know and this like this picture got around all of a sudden people started to to say like oh look at this satanic guy wearing this skull t-shirt yeah. and s- we started to have people like from the orthodoxy like start to boycott our shows because the skull t-shirt and all of a sudden we realized that this was going to be a problem and so i asked our tour director to like get someone to take me to the local mall because i realized like all of my shirts had skulls on them and it's just like you know in the united states you could see um a baby bib with skulls on it or like here it's not a big deal like my grandma has a scarf with like skulls on it and stuff (laughs) like you know like we don't think about it the same it's not the same it really is not and you know, I happen to like Metallica and whatever, like their skulls on their shirts. So I was looking through my my suitcase back in Ukraine. And I was like, all of my shirts have skulls on them. <laughs> so I had them take me to the mall 
because my my perspective was I came here to serve these people. I'm not just going to get in an argument with everyone and be like, well, you it's just a difference of culture. You should just do things our way and you should be okay yeah. with it. I was like, no, I came here to serve. I don't want to be a distraction. I don't want to give people some ridiculous reason to boycott our show and therefore, you know, push people away from the opportunity to hear the gospel. So I was like, take me to the mall. I will literally buy 20 new <laughs> shirts that are blank. Like just, just blank. take me yeah. to the mall. Everything goes and that's black. What, and that's what I did. I just <laughs> bought like basically a whole new wardrobe <laughs> there so that we could do this. But I think that was one of the factors of why yeah. the people in Venice were like, we're not okay with this. And and to them, I think, I think a, the skull was much more of a symbol, the way we would think of like a pentagram or something like that. Right. Like I think they, I, I guess, yeah, I, I still don't totally get it. I, yeah. I kind of get it, but like, I guess. Yeah. So it, it was to us, it seemed like unwarranted attention that it was more than, than it deserved. Cause it wasn't a big deal, but to some people yeah. it was a big deal. So sure. we, we're in Venice and we basically get told uh, through representatives of the mayor and and his people that you're not to preach the gospel, you're not to talk about your faith, you're not to do all these things. Um, and the you know the Orthodox priests were like, people need to come to us for spiritual stuff. You guys aren't allowed to do any of this, and if you do, we are going to put you in jail. Yeah. And the thing was, was we knew that we weren't breaking any laws. We had the permits mm-hmm. to be there. And what they were asking us to do was actually illegal, like nationally, right? In a similar way, like we had the right to say the say what we wanted to say and share our faith and do all those things, similar to First Amendment rights here in America. It's a little different over there. But, sure. um, and so we, you know, we talked with our group and our people and we're like, this is the whole reason that we're here is to share the gospel and to, right. to do all of this. And we're not breaking the law. Um, and we conferred, you know, with our group to make sure that that was the case and that we, you know, we weren't doing something that we weren't supposed to be doing, but, and so like, no, you have the right to, um, these guys just kind of control this town. And so, um, my understanding was, was under their current law, you could detain anyone for up to three days, uh, while you proved whether or not the, the reason you arrested them was right. They was should right. be prosecuted. Yeah. yeah. So in theory, they could arrest us for up to three days with no consequence to them uh, mm-hmm. for no reason, basically. Right. They could just put us in jail right. for three days to teach us a lesson. And there's nothing we could do about it legally because right. they have the right to do that. So our hunch is that that's what was probably going to happen or what they were trying to make happen is that they would have just arrest us. And then after three days, they'd have to let us go because they wouldn't have any charges that they could actually, you know, pin us with. Um, right. So that was kind of the concern. Interestingly, though, that show, and I don't know who set this mm. up, but our security for that show was like a bunch of special forces dudes. And they full yeah. <laughs> on were in like camo fatigues with like like a burgundy beret. I mean, yep. these guys looked they look bad to the bone. I mean, the whole yeah. time you're like, these are yes. like the toughest military dudes. You do not mess with them. And they were like our security the whole time. We're like, we got yep. you guys, we got your back. Like, and so it was, I mean, it was funny because on one hand we had like this threat from the local government. And then we had like 
the most burly security <laughs> yeah. of the entire time we yeah. were over there. We had like 20 Rambos uh, surrounding yeah. <laughs> us. <laughs> I mean, they were they were a little bit smaller Rambos because everyone over there is a little bit smaller than us big Americans. But uh, yeah. I don't it, think Sylvester Stallone's very big. That's true. That's true. But he's probably like five, six. <laughs> so anyways, I remember though, we got done with that with that show and we just did what we always did and tons of people responded to the gospel and it was amazing and incredible. And, uh, it was, there was a big crowd though, and it was a lot going on. And so those guys, they were not messing around and they did their job and they whisked us straight into a van straight into like, like the hotel. I mean, it was like, boom, 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 boom. We were like ghosts. We were gone out of there at the hotel crazy fast. It was like having our own, you know, secret service yep. <laughs> escorting us. It was crazy. And our crew on that tour, we were so dialed at that point. Like, you know, I went brown, like strummed the last note and let it ring out. And like in one kind of fluid motion, like took my guitar off, handed it to the guitar tech, walked down the stairs where the 40 Rambos were <laughs> and they put me in the van and there we go, peeled out. Yeah, we were gone. Like while the sound system was still reverberating, basically we got whisked yeah. away. Because it really it like wasn't that. whisked, whisked <laughs> away. And we went to the hotel, and we were told to hide in our rooms. Like you guys just stay in your rooms. We'll tell you when it's safe. <laughs> yeah, well, and there really wasn't a place for us to be backstage, which is part of the reason they're like, we just need to get right. you guys out of here. There's security. Yeah. yeah, there was just wasn't like good barricades and all that kind of. Which is why they're like, we're just going to get you out of here. So yeah, we yeah. get to the hotel and. And I think we were downstairs in the restaurant trying to get some food and stuff. By the way, do you remember the theme of the restaurant in the hotel? I think it was some sort of American theme. I don't remember what it Basically, was. Basically, it was America. Like, <laughs> that was it. Like, just <laughs> a very basic general. So, they had signs on the walls that said, like, baseball. But it wasn't like a team. But it was <laughs> just, just baseball. Like, baseball. And, like, this it was like a picture of the flag. And, like, so funny. Just That's the most amazing. generic, like, America restaurant. Have That's hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently after we got whisked away by our team of Rambos and got to the hotel, um, <laughs> some of the policemen and the mayor and few of his guys had shown up at the stage to find us yeah. and arrest us because they're like, yep. you guys did what we said not to do. Yep. And, um, but we were already gone. And so they're trying yep. to find us. So we get, start getting text messages to the, everyone at the hotel, like, Hey, tell the guys, the police are coming. They're trying to find them. Uh, you guys need to like go hide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like just to stay in your hotel rooms. Yeah. And yep. so uh, we were in the restaurant trying to get food, and they're like, "Go upstairs, like go in your rooms, lock the door," um, because yeah. again, legally, they would need a search warrant to come in and find us in the hotel. If they were in the hotel rooms, they right. they can't just come break down the door. So <laughs> we all like go up to our rooms and hide. Later, we find out that the police had tried to follow some of the other local team to figure out where we were and basically had the equivalent of like a high speed car chase. Cause they were trying to ditch him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot that. <laughs> and, and the police were trying to follow up and figure out where we are. Cause they don't know what hotel we're at or where we're at, you know, where we are. Yeah. Anything. And, um, so yeah, that, that whole evening they were searching for <laughs> us, like the police and the mayor and, uh, they had sent out a team looking for us 
And I think at one point we did come down and eat, but we were like constantly looking over our shoulder the whole time. Like yeah. every time the door would open, we're like, who is it? <laughs> Make sure it's not the cops, you know, run to our room real fast. And, yeah. uh, and so I remember we kind of camped out in our rooms all night. We just got food and went back up and, uh, the, the police finally did figure out where we were, what hotel we were at. That's and, right. Uh, the kind of local, um, I don't know what Vlad's role was, but he was kind of, he was oversaw. like the tour director. Yeah. I think yeah. you could say he had talked to the front desk, you know, beforehand and said, Hey, if the police come looking for these guys, they have to have a warrant. Like, you know, here's, here's all the laws and here's the rules. Do not let them into these guys' rooms. They don't have the right to do it. It is illegal. And so, and he, you know, kind of gave them a stern warning that he had attorneys that would make sure that, <laughs> the hotel and everyone uh, followed proper protocol. Um, yeah. and so, <laughs> and if you don't, uh, you'll be hearing from them. So yeah. it was kind of pretty stern warning to not let them know which rooms we were in and, and let them in unless they had a warrant because that's what the law required. And, uh, yeah, so sure enough, they showed up and, uh, and the front desk clerk amazingly was like, Nope, can't tell you. Sorry, unless you got a warrant. <laughs> and <Yep. laughs> I think those guys finally they they waited around for a while waiting for us waiting for us we never came out and of course we yeah. had people checking uh to make sure the coast was clear before we ever left our rooms and then the next day uh after those guys had left probably gone home to get some sleep or something for a little bit we had a window of time that nobody was around the bus was all fired up ready to go and we ran downstairs hopped on the bus and skip town and <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh and once we were out of town we were out of their jurisdiction like they couldn't like come get That's us. Right. So we right. geographically, once we got out of the area, they, they wouldn't be able to come get us any longer. So, right. um, yeah. So we were I, able I don't to... remember exactly where we went from there. Uh, it was another one of the Western towns. So somewhere like Kamunets Podiski or something like that, which yeah. was another really cool town. But yeah, once we got away from Venice, we were pretty much in the clear until a few days later was the end of the trip and we were like leaving the country yeah. and we were all in the airport getting ready to go through customs. And we were like, I don't know, maybe they'll detain well, us here. So there was the, the mayor was so mad. He, as I recall, he had notified our, our group again and said that he was going to like, I don't, the equivalent of extradite. I don't know what that, you know, but like have a, basically an arrest warrant out for us at the border mm. so that we wouldn't be mm. allowed to leave the country. Um, and again, Vlad was like, no, I have friends that are in the government. We'll make sure you guys are in the clear that that doesn't happen. Um, but we had basically been threatened that they were going to try and arrest us if we, tr if we tried to leave the country and he was going to try and bring us back to his city. To were figure, you the you know, first one to go through? I, I sure was. And I remember quite well <laughs> because everyone was like, who's going first? And, and <laughs> I went first and you guys were, I mean, all just like, wide-eyed watching yeah. me like what's gonna happen is he gonna get arrested yeah. and because if i would have got arrested you guys probably would have hightailed it out of there and gone back with our group and figured out what was next and i would have been sitting in jail but uh, <laughs> why did we send you first i probably was because i'm i'm dumb like that i'm like i'll do it <laughs> <laughs> we should have been more strategic um, about it like yeah. who's i ain't who scared we... yeah 
<laughs> so, so yeah, I remember being there. And what was funny was the guy took forever. Like he was looking at my passport, <laughs> yeah, and, like, typing stuff yeah. on the computer, yeah. and like seconds felt like minutes, you know. And he, yeah, like, it just like, oh goodness, what is he? Is he reading like a whole thing about how he's about yeah. to arrest me? <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all just he looks pins up and at you. Why are you sweating so bad, yeah. <laughs> comrade? I was like, I'm about to get put in a border prison in Ukraine. This is going <laughs> to yeah. not be good. Uh, at least but, it would have been like the airport prison. Yeah, yeah. But he, uh, he, he stamped my passport and off yeah, I went. We all and, went. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then we got I think he like, like made a grunting sound like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's really? about yeah, that's about as much greeting as I got. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, we made it out and didn't get arrested. But uh, for yeah. sure, I think had we been out on the street or not gotten out of that venue so fast behind the stage, there's a good chance we would have ended up uh, in the Ukrainian prison um, for yeah. preaching the gospel. And it was it was kind of crazy. I remember sitting in the room being like, wow, this is like, this is like what the early church went through. Yeah. I mean... Not as yeah. extreme, probably. I know some of them, their lives were on the line. But like, it was like, whoa, yeah. like, this is actually like, we're in hiding right now to not go to jail for preaching the gospel. Like, I ne yep. didn't think I would ever say that, <laughs> you know, that being an American, that's usually not a problem for us. And so that was, yeah. it was a pretty fascinating experience to walk through all that. Um, but all that I to say... I don't know if this will sound weird, but I was... It does sound weird. I was like oddly kind of excited about it. Yeah, I I would agree. There was something about it that felt kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> you're like yeah. other people. This has happened to Apostle Paul. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> like, let me let me list some like big names off here. And again, yeah. not to the same extent. I understand. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, but it was it was kind of this like whoa we're experiencing this thing that we've read about never thought we would mm -hmm. ever experience and mm -hmm. for our faith like and and honestly we were in a comfy hotel we were totally fine we were well fed yeah like, it yes. was the easiest that could have gone um right. we had the, 40 rambos yeah we, we weren't we were all good <laughs> we weren't like in a storm drain hiding right like in the freezing cold it could have been crazy crazy different but um all that to say it was it was quite the experience but we got to see i would say that that was some of the firsthand maybe like corruption we saw of power being abused mm -hmm. in in a city for yep. control and gain right and we mm -hmm. got to see some of the conflict between the different religious factions within the country and we also got to see the freedom that that legally we were allowed to share the gospel and, and the response that happened. We get to see some really cool things and we spent almost a month on that trip in ukraine and we met many wonderful people we saw every region of the country and yes. now many of the very venues that we went to and performed in are gone like blown up yeah bombed out when when this invasion started in earnest last year in 2022 honestly i would say part two of the invasion because part one was when they invaded crimea mm -hmm. and annexed that territory which created a whole bunch of problems for Ukraine. Uh, so when this invasion really started last year and the weeks turned into months and the, the bombing and the attacks were just getting more and more violent and more and more destructive, I remember one day like crying 
honestly, as I was scrolling through my phone, I was scrolling through my phone and looking at all these pictures of our adventures there from 2015 and 2016. I was looking at all these places that I had, you know, uh, um, taken pictures of and all these places we had gone to and all the, the faces of our friends and, you know, even like some of the crowds. And so I remember some of the faces of like people that were singing along and I'm scrolling through all these pictures and I started crying because I was thinking like these places only exist in my phone now. They just exist on these pictures and these memories. And man, it, it really, there's a sense of loss. really broke me up a lot. Yes. A huge sense of loss, a huge sense of loss for what, you know, what they were fighting for too like this is setting them back 30 40 years Mm -hmm. just in relationships alone like building that network of safety as as a new country finding its way in its newfound independence even Mm -hmm. yeah and i think you know our sense of sadness and loss there is so minuscule compared to the people that live there and their their homes were the things that were destroyed. Their businesses yep. were the things that were destroyed. Their cities were the was what was destroyed. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we just we get a small glimpse of this kind of the sorrow and the sadness of it, um, just yeah. because we had a wonderful experience there. And now those places are gone, and that that's sad. But how much more so for these people that are still there and in it? And there continues to be young men and women who are dying you know, in, in that war zone, war is brutal and it is ugly and it is devastating. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that the Ukrainian people, they didn't want this. No one was like, Hey, I want to go to war. You know, I want to be in a war zone. Like they're trying to survive and live through it. And it's, it's brutal and it's hard. So I I know a lot of the Russian people are against this too, and feel very conflicted about this. You know, for many of them, they're looking at their family members in Ukraine that are being absolutely hunted and killed and destroyed. And, and that's one thing too, because Ukraine was a part of the USSR for so many years, there is families that are, on both sides of the border that are on both sides of the government that are on both sides of. And so there is a component there too, that I think a lot of people don't realize of there is some brother against brother and, you know, dad against son. And like some of those things that are happening because of the demographics. And even when we were there, there was some conversations about difficulties in visiting family members that were in Russia versus Ukraine Mm -hmm. and just, doing it in certain ways where it wouldn't cause a problem where you crossing those borders back and forth um, was a little tricky because again, the politics and things. And so there is, there is some real brokenness of even like immediate families just because of geographic location during the Soviet union era, it didn't matter what it was all kind of one thing. Right. And, and now that being so separated and now being at war, there are families that are very separated by this um, just because geographically they live you know, a little bit apart on either side of the border. Um, But all that to say, I I, I hope that this time has maybe given just a little bit of background in, in, in some of the things that were happening in Ukraine prior to this war, the people that are there, the beauty of what God was doing there, some of the wonderful things that happened there prior to this. And now though, in the midst of the chaos and the war, we still have some friends that are doing incredible work over there that, our lane of doing big concerts and events and kind of what we do is not very helpful at the moment to them. Um, but some of our friends are doing incredible work 
And so yeah. I would love before we, we wrap this up just to mention a few of the people that we know who are over there, who are continuing to serve the people of Ukraine um, and, and help people. And, and also maybe, you know, you can, if you're like, man, I love these stories. I have a heart for these people. Um, these are all organizations that you can get involved with at, you know, whatever level you want to, but, um, absolutely. Uh, first of all, you worked for a company called EEM, Eastern European mission. You were, That's right. uh, you helped raise funds for them for, uh, a couple of years and, right. um, no longer working for them now, but, uh, right. still very good friends. And do you want to just share a little bit about what EEM has been doing? Um, Absolutely. I, I, I know at the core, it's distributing Bibles to Eastern yeah. Europe. Like that's how it started <laughs> smuggling yep. Bibles in, in the, under the iron curtain, like back when it was the USSR. That's right. The continuation of that was during the freedom. You, they were able to just hand out Bibles freely which was amazing didn't have to smuggle yep. them just like hey here's a whole bunch um to now uh again that's shifted a bit because of the war zone and things like that so what are they doing now and if you want to talk a little bit about what's happening currently right. with em in ukraine yeah so when we first came back from ukraine in 2015 is when i first got connected with eastern european mission um, and, and I'll call them EEM because that's kind of the name that that company goes by as far as doing business. So Eastern European mission is called EEM and started in 1961, like you said, as a, as a Bible smuggling operation, you know, getting Bibles through the Iron Curtain, uh, distributing hundreds of thousands of Bibles in, in those, in that span of time, uh, and nowadays, uh, you know, they're a major Bible distribution network there. They publish, print, and distribute the Bible all over Eastern Europe. Um, a lot of these Bibles were being printed in Kiev and in places in Ukraine and stuff as well. So what EEM is doing, besides distributing Bibles for um, not only kids in public schools in like 20 plus countries through the Bibles for Kids project, but also for churches and hospitals and prisons and recovery shelters and, you know, drug rehabilitation centers all over, all over Eastern Europe, but specifically in Ukraine. They're also helping right now with a fund called Ukraine Aid. So Ukraine Aid is money that they're pledging to help people that need um, resources, um, supplies, um, food, medicine, shelter, um, helping people who are taking care of the refugees that have been displaced from Ukraine um, and helping people within Ukraine that are helping with sort of taking care of people at the front lines in areas that have been attacked. So um, EEM is an incredible organization. I was working for them for the last three years. Uh, of course, we've now turned our focus back to Cutlass and creating more music and starting this podcast and kind of revitalizing our ministry efforts and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we are still very close with this organization and I love everybody that works there. And I would just say to our listeners, um, you can do a lot of good by supporting EEM. So please check out EEM, EEM.com, um, EEM.org. Oops. <laughs> EEM.org. You, you only worked there for three years. It's done. Yeah, oops. <laughs> um, 
you know, please go check them out. There's so much you could do to help. But, you know, the Ukraine aid fund right now is hugely important because it is winter there. Um, Ukraine has brutal winters. And a lot of these places that have been attacked no longer have electricity, you know, no running water, no yeah no warmth. Um, we got to help these people survive through the winter. So this is a great way that you can help uh, support the Ukraine aid fund with EEM. Yeah. And then, you know, our other friends, uh, Samaritan's Purse is yep. doing a lot of work to help provide resources and um, uh, a chain of, you know, a, a supply chain coming in through places like Romania and Poland and getting supplies in to the country to help people at the front lines, um, bring in medicine and, and all that kind of stuff. A lot of food runs and a lot of supply runs to help people have the resources they need. Yeah. Um, and just the other day I connected our friend Edward Graham, uh, of course, uh, you know, Franklin Graham's son and Edwards helping with the Samaritan's purse organization. Now, um, I connected Edward with one of my buddies here, Andy Ziesmer, who runs a really cool ministry called A Jesus Mission. So A Jesus Mission is a missionary support organization that has like 120 missionaries in different countries, uh, all pretty much all throughout Eastern Europe. So they had a ton of people in Ukraine. They have people in Hungary. They have people in Pristina, Kosovo. They had people in, in all these countries, right? And yeah. and so they were helping to provide um, transportation of resources in uh, across the border into Ukraine, up to the front lines uh, to help their missionaries and other people that were kind of pinned down in those areas. And um, they've actually been like one of the main couriers for Samaritan's Purse of like transporting supplies in to these yeah. places that really need our help. So there's a lot of people doing a lot of things to try and help Ukraine, but these are three organizations that we know mm -hmm. that are stewarding your gifts. If you choose to donate and help and fund uh, these, these projects to help the people of Ukraine, these are three organizations we know that are stewarding your gifts really well really responsibly and they are making big impact there's a there's a huge impact that takes place when you give people the physical gift of god's word in their language that's eem's primary function but they're also helping people with the ukraine aid fund mm -hmm. and then obviously there's a lot of work to be done to try and help provide people resources that they don't have access to right now because of the war or getting people out to yeah. safety so a well, lot of help yeah, yeah, you were just telling me earlier, Jesus Mission just got donated some armored ambulances, which yeah. is like a huge thing right now, because yeah. now they can yep. transport people and supplies and armored vehicles to, to get people where they need to be if they need help or, yeah, supplies that's where they, right. they need help. So there's some cool things that are happening like that um, that's very frontline work um, helping the people of Ukraine. And like we said, we have a heart for Ukraine simply because we had the privilege and honor of being there for, you know, a few weeks in a really special time. And yeah. we got to know the people a yeah. bit and we love those people. And we know that a lot of those people are really hurting today. And so the whole point in this podcast of like, it's in the news, we're seeing it. There's debate on how much should America be supporting this war effort? What's our role? What should our politicians be doing? Uh, I'll let all the politicians figure that out. And I, I may have some thoughts on it, but that's not 
what we're here today yeah, <laughs> to talk that's about. Secondary to helping yes. tell these stories about these really special people that we got yeah. to know and uh, letting you know that there's still a lot of people doing great work to try and help them right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I hope you guys enjoyed these stories and they're, they're <laughs> fun to relive and to, you know, talk about and remember, I, even as we were talking through some of these stories, you know, it's always like, Oh man, I forgot about that. Like yeah. <laughs> these little bits and pieces and um, man, what a special time it was for us uh, very, to be over there. Um, also, I just want to say a, a thank you to the people that did support. We have a nonprofit um, evangelistic ministry that we started, I think back in 2012. And there were a, a, a handful of people that helped support us to be able to go over there and do that back in yep. 2016 uh, and yep. 2015. So I just want to again say thank you to the people that have generously donated to our ministry and given to that so that we could do that back during that window of opportunity. Um, so super thankful for that. And then also just very grateful for the men and women who are over there right now, um, mm -hmm. continuing to do the work that's needed today. Um, and so I, I just, I love how regardless of our role, you may be stuck in an office today looking out a window, wishing you could go outside and do something different, but you still have a role where you can make a difference in the world. And maybe that is That's just right. supporting somebody else. Maybe you can't drive an armored ambulance <laughs> in a war zone. Um, there are other people who are doing that and we can support those people. And if, if not, if you're saying, man, financially, I can't either. And that's not, you know, your gifting still, you can pray for those people. You can, honor the work that, that those people are doing. There's other ways that we can just continue to support them and love on them. And so yeah. whatever that looks like. And so yeah. um, we and will provide links to those organizations in this episode description as well. And we would encourage you at the very least, please be praying for these groups. Please be praying for these organizations. And if you can support financially, those are three really great groups that are doing yeah. a lot of good work. And they are, like I said, they're stewarding their funds very well. So awesome. you, you're, you would be a very effective giver if you supported yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys again for listening. And uh, we hope you're enjoying this podcast. Um, also there, there'll be some ways to continue to support this podcast in the future. Um, and we'll be rolling those out as, as we get further along, if this is something big news on to the you. way, that's right. Yeah, and we're big, excited big about. News. So, um, thank you guys for listening and to our, to our friends in Ukraine. We love you guys. Uh, we're praying for you and we know that it's a long road and a hard road. And, um, mm -hmm. we, we hope that, you know, you're not alone and that we see you and we hear you, although we can't be there with you in person at this current time. Um, but, we love you guys and and mm -hmm. to our friends in Russia too that are maybe caught in between all of it like the the body of Christ as a whole I think we need to remember that the church is scattered throughout the whole world it is yes believers in every country in every language mm -hmm. um, and we are family and I, I believe that the body of Christ was meant to work together to help one another and I think that's what we see in the in the early church in Acts was that they just rallied together for the needs of what people needed like hey this is what we need to survive this is what the church needs in this era in this season and we see that happening to certain degrees right now globally and I think that's awesome and so yeah we encourage you guys to get involved and again thanks for listening to the podcast we hope today was informative and enjoyable for you and we'd encourage you to get involved if you can um, and if if not just be praying for those people um, that's still part of what we do 
for our brothers and sisters uh, in the faith. And so thanks again for listening. We will be back uh, in a couple weeks with another episode. Make sure you uh, make sure you tune in and lots more to come. Excited about Woo-hoo. it. See ya. Thank you.